Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. On Sunday morning, we are continuing our series, our summer series entitled Encouragements from the book of 2 Corinthians. And as we find our way there, just a reminder, on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we'll continue that tonight in the book of Hosea. Each of you are invited, 6 o'clock this evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, yet well-pleased, to be absent from the body, and to be present with the Lord. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for these great truths that we're finding in this book, these great truths that are um, priceless encouragements in our life and in our walk with you. And we pray that once again this morning, by your Holy Spirit, you would take these truths off of the printed page and build them into our relationship with you, our worldview, how we look at our lives, how we look at uh, life, death, all of these things. And we pray for this work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We remember in the final uh, verses of uh, chapter 4, as we looked at them last time, the Apostle Paul, he encouraged us as Christians that while the outward man is perishing, uh, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Uh, verse 17 there, that however great our affliction is uh, in this life, that one day it'll give way to uh, our presence in heaven and all of its glory, and uh, that we're to keep our single great focus in life, not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporal and it's passing away, but to keep our focus upon what is unseen and eternal, having to do with the kingdom of God. Because presently we are living in, uh, and I love how C.S. Lewis put it, we're living in the shadow lands, uh, the merely physical uh, realm uh, uh, predominantly here in these bodies and, and in uh, uh, the uh, merely temporal and, uh, and uh, the things that are uh, before us in this way, but all of which is going to one day give away to the only rela reality that is shadowless and ultimately and substantially true when the Bible says we'll no longer see through a glass darkly in our relationship with God, but then uh, face to face. But here Paul is merely continuing that particular subject. You notice the very first word of chapter 5, uh, verse 1 is the word for. Uh, chapters and verses were added to the Bible 
in uh, the 1500s, and so they certainly weren't present in Paul's original letters. And so here is a break that breaks a flow of chapter 4 into chapter 5. He's continuing the same thought in, uh, in, in all of it. And, uh, and here in this uh, uh, part of, uh, of his uh, uh, flow of, of thought here, he lets us know that just as being a Christian uh, is no guarantee of being uh, spared affliction, uh, so uh, being a Christian is no guarantee of being spared uh, of death. But he doesn't want us to be ignorant about what happens to a Christian at the moment of death. And so he gives us this amazing revelation by the Holy Spirit in terms of what happens to a Christian at the moment of death in these uh, uh, eight verses. And so he prefaces all of this, not only with the four uh, to begin the section, uh, but for we know that. He wants us to know this as Christians. He wants us to be confident of this uh, as uh, Christians. In verse 1, Paul likens our physical body to a tent. And a tent in the ancient world, even as a tent is in the modern world, uh, it is a temporary dwelling. And it is comparatively fragile. It is comparatively uh, frail. It's not permanent. It's not intended to uh, last forever. And Paul certainly had firsthand experience related to all of this and being a tent maker himself as he used that to put food on the table, so to speak, for himself in the course of his uh, public ministry. And I have no doubt if you wanted to buy a tent in the ancient world that you would want to buy a tent from the Apostle Paul, that you would get the very best tent that could possibly uh, be built as he did everything that he did as unto the Lord. But even the Apostle Paul would have given you uh, no eternal guarantee uh, concerning the tent, that this was something that was going to last you uh, for all of eternity. He knew that a tent, even the best of tents, is only a temporary dwelling. He says uh, also in verse 1 that if uh, or, or when this tent is destroyed, we have a new body awaiting us. And when he talks about this tent being destroyed there, he speaks about the death of our body. The word destroyed means destroyed, but it also means uh, to tear down or to dismantle. And we talk about even in our modern age about striking the tent as a, a saying that refers to uh, our death. And when a Christian so often is very clearly at the very end of their life and the final hours or days of their life, it isn't unusual for a Christians to pray then for their fellow Christian and say, Lord, would you take their tent down gently? And all of these are references to what the Apostle Paul declares here concerning the physical uh, body. We might ask ourselves, why does Paul write, if our earthly house, this tent, uh, is destroyed? We might think, uh, what's up with that if? I mean, it, it, aren't we all going to die sooner or later as Christians? And the answer is no. And because there will be a generation of Christians that will be alive at the time 
of the rapture of the church and what will usher them into heaven will not be death, but it will be that great event of the rapture uh, of the church. And of course, this was the Apostle Paul's uh, first preference, and he lived his entire and the, the, and the hint of it even in this passage, he lived his entire life in the expectation of the fact that Jesus could return at any time and rapture his church. And that should be the expectation of uh, every uh, single Christian uh, as well. Uh, one of my favorite uh, observations related to all of this is uh, Tommy Ice, who was getting up at a conference to speak, and he speaks regularly on uh, the rapture of the church, and he introduced his uh, talk that night, his sermon that night, by asking, what problem do you have in your life that wouldn't be solved by the rapture? And uh, everything will be solved for the Christian by the rapture, because uh, if we're alive at that time, it'll be the means by which we instantly enter into that, that glory uh, of heaven. And, but barring the rapture, Paul tells us here that at the moment of our death, uh, the tent that represents this, our decaying physical bodies is going to be replaced by a new body. And Paul describes this new body as a building from God. And he's speaking of the fact, uh, he's contrasting uh, the permanence of this new body as opposed to how frail and temporal our current physical bodies are in, in, in our current uh, circumstances. It's going to be a body that's made for heaven, that's made for eternity. This body is dominated by the fall. Uh, as wonderful it is, as it is to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but it's dominated by the consequences of the fall, and it's not made for eternity. And we need something that's going to be made for eternity, the glory of heaven, uh, for uh, something that is going to be timeless. And uh, so here's a body made for heaven, made for eternity. No sickness, no disease, no aging, no perishing, no temptations to do wrong. Uh, and, and completely untainted by the fall. And you notice how Paul describes it uh, here. He describes uh, this new body as from God. In other words, it's constructed by Jesus, uh, by the Lord Himself. Uh, it's not built by human hands. In other words, it'll never deteriorate, unlike a tent uh, or this body that's been given to us by our parents. Uh, eternal in the heavens, it's eternal, it's immortal. And uh, the idea is uh, that Paul is communicating here is that once we're in that new body, we will have no complaints. We may have complaints in this body, but there will be no complaints about uh, the body that awaits us. And so just as in the, no one in the ancient culture would have had a uh, complaint about moving from a tent that they were living in, while a permanent home was being constructed uh, for them, and then moving into that permanent home upon its, uh, its completion and its construction. And so, too, no Christian will ever have any complaints about uh, the new body that we move into uh, as we move out of this tent in order to then occupy it. No one, that as that event occurs, is going to be a time, as Paul puts it, of 
inexpressible celebration. And he made it so clear in his first letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53. Allow me to read it to you. He said, For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruption, corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And this is Paul's way of saying, as you might hear in an athletic arena, basketball game, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye. It's just all of us together now. Let's just do that. So it's a, it's a sanctified taunt of death in the face of what it is that Jesus' resurrection means for us. Someone might wonder, do the Scriptures give us any kind of insights into what this new body is going to be like, as, as Paul talks about here? And as a matter of fact, it does. The Apostle John wrote, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Beloved, we are, uh, now we are children of God, and it shall not yet be revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He, that is Jesus, is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And so this new body will be like Jesus' body, uh, and that is it will be perfect. We will not be divine, of course. We will not be equal to, with Him uh, of course, we won't look exactly like him. He will still bear the scars uh, of his uh, crucifixion. But we will be like him morally. We will be like him uh, spiritually, so to speak, and like him in, in terms of our actions and our, our motives. We'll also be like him in that we'll never see death. We will never know sickness or any kind of defilement or sin. Uh, of any kind. Paul reinforced all of this elsewhere in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here it is. Who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to himself. We also remember some unique characteristics of the body of Jesus following his uh, resurrection from uh, the dead. Uh, you might remember that uh, as he met with the apostles, the disciples in that upper room on the Sunday of his resurrection, that he appears in the room. He doesn't come through the door. He just instantaneously is there. He eats in order to, for them to realize that he's not a phantom and, and some kind of a ghost or merely a spirit, but having a body, uh, he eats. You might remember also that as he was with, uh, traveling with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he begins to speak to them about how the Old Testament spoke uh, of him, that when they finally reached Emmaus, sat down then to eat, uh, ate, and then he revealed, he was revealed to them for who he was, because up to that point they didn't know they were talking with Jesus, and in that instant he was gone. So we're going to see an entirely different, uh, all of the limitations and the things that are 
uh, unique in terms of a limiting way in these bodies, uh, they will, uh, they'll, uh, they'll be uh, gone. And so this building from God that Paul is talking about will be far superior uh, to our present one. He said in verse 2 that presently we groan, uh, and, and that's, uh, uh, that's true. The, um, and the older you get, the more you uh, know that. Ultimately, every action and movement in life is accompanied by a groan. And, uh, and then ultimately you reach a place where you don't even know you're groaning. And, uh, and then you reach a point where you don't care. Uh, you have to groan to get up. It's all a part of the process of getting out of that car or whatever uh, it might be. But we do groan. Uh, but it isn't just a groaning related to uh, our current uh, tent that we live in. But he said we groan in verse 2, longing to be clothed with this new body. And so this new body is going to bring an end to all this kind of groaning because it's going to bring an end to everything that produces groaning uh, within our lives. All affliction, all suffering, as he's been talking about uh, earlier in the letter, all persecution, all trials, all the perishing of the outward man. Now, it is important to notice in verses 3 and 4 that Paul did not wish to be a disembodied spirit. Uh, that's not what he's longing for here. And it's uh, significant for a reason that we'll get to in just a moment. That was the teaching of the Greek culture that Paul was in the middle of related to, as he's uh, writing to the, the church in Corinth, was, which was a Greek city uh, in, the, in the country of Greece, which was a part of the Roman Empire uh, at that time. And so Greek thought and Greek, Greek philosophy uh, 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 generally recognized uh, death as the release of the spirit, the release of the soul uh, from the body. And uh, many of their most famous philosophers looked at the body as this great weight, this great thing that held, holds the soul back. And so when a person died, it was now an opportunity to be merely a spirit being and uh, released from all of the, uh, the, the degradation or the degrading of, of the human body. But all of that is very, very uh, different from what Paul is teaching here as he makes clear. You notice in verse 3 that he plainly states that upon receiving this new body after death, uh, we will not be found naked. And what he's talking about there is that we will not be found bodiless. Uh, we will not then become a disembodied spirit, a spirit of some kind uh, without a body. In verse 4, he makes it clear that he's not teaching and he's not desiring after death for, for the purpose of being unclothed. Uh, he's not desiring to be a disembodied spirit, but rather to, upon dying, to be further clothed with this new body from God that's made for heaven and made for eternity. Now, uh, all Christians who are biblical in our beliefs, we recognize this to be true. We recognize that to be absent from the body, as he gets to in a verse or two, 
absent from the body is to immediately be present uh, with the Lord. But uh, what happens to us at the moment of death, there is a division among Christians on uh, that issue. And, uh, and there are two primary camps that, and views related to this about when we receive the new body after dying. First, there are those that believe that when a Christian dies, they do not receive their new body immediately, but they exist in heaven as a disembodied spirit being until the time of the rapture, uh, when all of those who have died previously will then receive their new bodies at the same time as those who are being raptured. And the general basis for this view comes from two primary uh, New Testament scriptures. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. And if the Bible's new to you, and I lose you here a little bit, uh, don't feel bad about it. But uh, for others of you, this is very, uh, very important as you've uh, formed one of these two views. The Apostle Paul wrote in describing the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, that is, dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord, and therefore comfort one another with these words. And so they see a progression here uh, in this passage related to the rapture with the dead in Christ rising first. In other words, those Christians who have died and gone to heaven prior to the rapture uh, of the church. They receive their new body at that moment, and then those Christians who are alive at the time of the rapture receiving their new body uh, as well. A second verse that is foundational to this view is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Paul writes, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inter- uh, inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Again, they see, uh, this view sees a very clear progression in those verses in terms of Uh, the receiving of the new body. And uh, they will further contend uh, that since Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians prior to 2 Corinthians, that Paul intends for what he is writing here in 2 Corinthians to be interpreted in the light of uh, them. Now the second view related to all of this is uh, held on the basis of these eight verses in chapter 5. And uh, those who believe that when a Christian dies, they receive their new body immediately because that appears to be the very natural conclusion of the reading of of these eight uh, uh, verses. 
And they would contend that even as the first group contends that this passage must be interpreted in the light of 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians, that instead the reverse is true here, that both of those previous passages should be uh, interpreted in the light of this, the latest revelation, so to speak, of, of Paul on this issue. And, and because, further, because 1 Thessalonians deals primarily with the doctrine of the rapture itself, and because 2 Corinthians deals supremely with Jesus' victory over death because of his resurrection. But in this passage, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's focus is clearly and primarily on our new body and when we will receive it as Christians. And again, Paul plainly states here that he doesn't groan earnestly desiring to be released from this tent or from this body in order to become a disembodied spirit, but rather to be clothed with his new habitation, which is from heaven, as he states there in verse 2. And again, that upon receiving this new body after death, that we will not be found naked, that is, bodiless or disembodied spirit, a spirit uh, without some kind of a body, as he says in verse 3. And he states again in verse 4, where he makes it clear that he's not teaching or desiring after death to be unclothed, this disembodied spirit, but rather upon dying to be further clothed with this new body that is made for heaven, made for eternity, in which, uh, as a result, mortality will be swallowed up by life. And here in this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul gives no hint at all of an intermediate stage between the death of this body and the receiving of the new one. There's just the mortality of the old body and the immortality of the new one. Now you have very good, very sincere Christians who are students of the Bible and have searched this, uh, this particular subject out on their own and come to uh, both of those conclusions or one or the other of those conclusions concerning when a Christian receives their new body uh, after uh, dying. And I respect people's conclusions on that and uh, you'll find no argument with me related to it because I can see a, a biblical foundation that a person might use to hold uh, one view or, uh, or the other. And uh, I see the strength of both the arguments. But personally, I hold to the second. And I do so for the reasons, all of the reasons that Paul has laid out here in teaching on this very subject, that we receive our new bodies made for eternity uh, immediately and at the moment of uh, death. Uh, but everybody understands whatever is, is true here, that ultimately it's going to be uh, just great. But in line with what the Apostle Paul teaches here, it is very interesting, I think, that as you study the Bible, and uh, study the subject of death within the Bible, and you notice the, 
the attempt to describe death, especially in the New Testament, how hard it was for the Apostle Paul, even inspired by the Spirit, to describe the death of a Christian. Uh, he uses all kinds of different words in an attempt uh, to do so. And he'll use word, he, he likens death to putting off the tent as he does uh, here. He likens it uh, to sleep. Uh, he likens it to departing. And one of the reasons I think the Apostle Paul struggles related to all of this is because the word death, as it's so commonly used in our world, doesn't accurately represent what happens to a Christian uh, in, in that moment because our culture uses death to signify that a person ceases to exist. And the most accurate term that could be used to describe the death of a Christian is actually not that they've died, but rather that they have moved. We don't die as a Christian. We will never die as a Christian. But we do move, as the Apostle Paul describes here. And we move from this earthly house, this tent, into a new body that's eternal, that's been fashioned by God and made for heaven and made for, for eternity. This body that I possess, this body that, that you possess, it's not supremely who and what we are. The physical body, as wonderful as it is, and, and how it can be used to uh, uh, distinguish ourselves one from another, each one of us is so different in terms of our outward appearance, but this body is not what we are at our core, despite American culture and Western emphasis upon the body. The real you and me is inside of this body. This body is just a means to express the real us that is inside of this body. And you take the real me, who and what I am inside of this body, and you put me in Pastor Bob's uh, body. And then you go to talk with Pastor Bob. You'll say, it certainly looks like Pastor Bob, but it certainly acts and talks like Pastor Damien because it's under new management. Uh, something is different now uh, at the core, and so it would be vice versa. These are merely means by which we express the real uh, us that we are uh, inside of the body. And, uh, and at the moment of death as a Christian, who and what I am never ceases to exist. Uh, the real me never ceases to exist. It simply moves. And that is true of every single uh, one of us as Christians. The Bible teaches that Jesus' victory over death and over, uh, uh, over hell, over sin, has reduced death to a butler. Now, the only butlers I've ever known are in the movies, and old movies uh, at that. But uh, very simply, as you remember perhaps a butler and some experience in your life, even on the television, a butler is very simply someone who greets you at the door uh, of the mansion. And then you knock there upon uh, the door as you are outside of the house, 
and, uh, and then the butler ushers you then into the house. And at the moment of death, we are simply ushered out of this temporary tent of our physical body and into the mansion, uh, into uh, the uh, new body that's been made for eternity. And so death, all death says to the Christian at that moment is, let me get you out of that old tent uh, that is breaking down on, on you and into a new body made for eternity. And no Christian ceases to exist, not for a nanosecond do we cease to uh, uh, exist. We simply move from corruption into incorruption, from mortal into immortality, and God wants us to know that. Death doesn't even remotely have the final say in a Christian's uh, life. And Paul says here in verse 5 as he closes what he's declaring here that God has prepared us for this. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And when Paul writes that God has prepared us for this, he's saying that this is the plan and the purpose of God uh, for us. This isn't some kind of monkey business that philosophers have come up with or that we've come up with in our own noggins. Uh, but uh, this is uh, something that uh, it, it comes from God, that God is presently preparing us for heaven by conforming us to the image of Christ, and that next to salvation, that preparation of God uh, uh, in our lives f in, for heaven is the greatest preparation we can have for standing one day in that glory of heaven in our glorified bodies. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, uh, is a guarantee of the fact that all of this is going to happen. And it isn't just the Holy Spirit in our lives in terms of giving us power and these kind of things, though He does that, uh, but it is the, the longing that comes into our lives by the Holy Spirit for the eternal, the longing to see Jesus one day face to face, the longing to be one day done with this body and receive a new body and, uh, and uh, be in the glory of heaven itself, that all of that is just a down payment. It's an engagement ring for the fact that all of this is one day going to take place. And so we enjoy life as Christians. I mean, we're thankful for all of the blessings, but there's always enough suffering in life, always enough affliction in life, always enough persecution in life, always enough uh, perishing of uh, the outward man uh, uh, that keeps alive in our hearts this hope of heaven complete with a new body that's perfectly been uh, prepared for it. He tells us in verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And here he reminds anybody that reads the letter, that's us uh, ourselves included today, that while uh, we are in these bodies presently, uh, all of this is a confident expectation for us for the simple reason uh, that it hasn't happened yet. It is something that we view uh, and take by faith simply because it happen hasn't happened in our lives, not because there's any doubt related to it. 
because it is still yet to come, and yet it's as sure as all of Jesus' promises. Jesus declared in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be uh, also. He said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words will uh, by no means pass away. And so he closes in verse 8 by concluding his thought uh, of our confidence. Uh, not only, Paul says, not only am I confident that this is going to happen uh, once uh, my life is over, uh, but that this is indeed our preference. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And here's this wonderful, wonderful encouragement in our summer series of encouragements from the book of Second uh, Corinthians. To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. No such thing as soul sleep as the Seventh-day Adventists teach and others like them that a, a Christian dies and then lies asleep in the grave until, uh, until the Lord's return. Uh, certainly uh, no purgatory, as the Roman Catholics teach, of some interim state that we go into until we're prayed out of or we're punished enough before we're fine to enter into heaven. Uh, the Bible knows nothing of that at all. And when you read Paul as he writes there in verse 8, he possesses absolutely zero fear of death. Zero fear of death. And uh, uh, because of this truth. And in fact, he declared it, as I mentioned, it to be his, present, uh, his preference. But of course, the timing of all of that, the purposes behind uh, when we go to heaven and when all of this happens in our lives individually, if it even uh, does, as the rapture seems to be drawing so close, uh, all of that's, of course, to be left with uh, God. As Paul wrote uh, to the church in Philippi, he said, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for uh, you. So this glorious truth to be absent from the body is immediately to be present with the Lord. And what a tremendously encouraging uh, truth that is. And if it isn't encouragement to you presently, uh, keep it in your hip pocket because one day uh, it will be. Uh, uh, and if uh, not only for ourselves, but as we see family members and dear friends who are Christians entering into eternity for us to have this perspective related to uh, what happens to them at the moment uh, of death. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, uh, in the Bible, again, it is interesting how uh, death is uh, addressed. And death is almost personified as it's described in the Bible. It's described as a great enemy of mankind. It's a great enemy of every single uh, uh, human being. Uh, brought into existence by the fall of Adam and Eve in that, that ancient garden 
of uh, Eden. And uh, death is an enemy, and it's an enemy that someone has to defeat, someone has to conquer. It is something that we have to be saved from. And we need to have a Savior that not, not only provides us with the forgiveness of sins, but we need a Savior who has conquered death. Death cannot be ignored uh, in the human condition, in human history. We need a Savior who has conquered uh, death. And Jesus has done that in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. He saves us from not only our sins, but the fear of death, the power of death, the grip of death upon our lives. And there might be one or two of you here this morning where you sit in and you feel that grip. You're conscious of the grip of death uh, upon your life, the firmness of it, how the grip of death becomes firmer by the day, by the year, how it can become even firmer uh, uh, by, uh, by the week and by the day uh, in, in our lives. And we fear that grip. And Jesus' words to us, as we recognize all of this in our lives apart from Him, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, yet shall he live. But that's not talking about you and me. What Jesus addresses to you and I in this room right now is this. And whoever lives, that's us, and whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Move? Yes. Die? No. And how do we receive this promise, this victory over death, this confidence in the face of death? It is only available by putting my faith in the only one in human history who has demonstrated a victory over death in his own resurrection by putting my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and choosing now to follow him all the days of this life and the life to come. And if you've never done that, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to answer your questions and pray with you to begin that relationship with God uh, this morning. And then this confidence in the face of death that is found in this salvation. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's very, very open. It's very, very honest. And here you have uh, a portion of what uh, could be called the theology of death or a theology of death in the Bible. The Bible doesn't run from it. The Bible doesn't try to ignore it. The, dry, the Bible doesn't try to distract us in some way uh, from it with fairy tales or keeping us busy or whatever. It plainly recognizes that this is an enemy of every single human being, and then it addresses how this enemy is to be defeated. It deals with it up front. And you watch our culture and how it deals with death. It is everything but up front with this culture. We do everything to run from death, to hide death. Uh, death is something that we relegate to certain buildings called mortuaries in town. 
We put uh, the cemeteries on the very edge of town in the least traveled part of towns. The only reason you see a cemetery in the middle of town is because the town has grown around it. And, uh, and, uh, and then when somebody dies in a hospital, they're carefully transported in vehicles that have been set aside for, that, for the trans, uh, from, uh, transferring of the body. But great pains are made uh, to keep the general population from ever being exposed to death or giving any kind of deep thought to death, the reality of it, and being prepared for it. And it is a great disservice, the, the immature way that our culture deals with death because it leaves people unprepared for it. It keeps people from thinking about this appointment that is one day coming uh, perhaps to us all, barring uh, the rapture. And then, uh, and then worse than not thinking about it is to be completely ill-prepared for it. A person may not agree with the Bible, may not believe in the Bible, but I would say you have to at least give God credit for thinking things through and providing a Savior that meets all of the needs that any thinking person uh, recognizes that they have in their lives. And the Bible is upfront about this in a way that the culture is not, and oftentimes we are not, but we need to be. This is a Savior that will give us hope and confidence in that moment of death, and is he, he is the only one who does so. Again, I urge you to give your life to the Lord today so that this enemy of yours and his very firm grip upon your life can be released, not in the moment of your death, but released in this moment as you receive everlasting life. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great truth and and I know that I, I pray on behalf of so many in this room as we stand before you and how these truths, they just come into our hearts, they become, they become us. And it's how we're able to look at everything in life and to live life in a completely different way, freed from the fear of death, released from the grip of death, Lord, and we thank you for this confidence that is ours, the confidence that we possess all the days of our Christian life, and then, Lord, the confidence that if we are not around for the rapture, that will possess us in that moment when we move from this tent and into that body. Thank you, Father, for thinking of everything and providing us with your Savior. Thank you for overwhelming every need in our life caused by the fall. And we thank you in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.